Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you again this uh, Thursday evening, March the 8th. We're going to start things off here in just a few moments uh, with another great uh, Coach's Corner panel. I've got two uh, very excellent uh, golf professionals in the wings, Peter Agazarian and, of course, John Hughes, and I'll tell you a little bit uh, about uh, them, for you, especially for those of you joining uh, first time and maybe not familiar with them. Um, and then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined uh after the coach's corner panel by my very special guest jeremy hutchins he's the owner and actually the new owner and ceo of golf manhattan which is a a great indoor facility in downtown manhattan we're going to tell you a little bit about that um but let me just remind everybody of course we are live every thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m central right here on uh, blogtalkradio.com network and the best way to find us of course is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type golf talk live up in the search key and you'll find us there front and center. Uh, if you can't listen live, not to worry, just visit that link at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on demand section and you can listen to all of the shows, including tonight's, in their entirety uh, on the recorded version. So uh, if you can't join us live, don't worry about that. You can always visit that link. You can also listen to the show as a podcast on uh, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and now this year, TuneIn.com as well, and just simply, again, type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you uh, to the respective pages on those uh, media platforms. Uh, Of course, I update on all social media platforms uh, that I'm currently linked with, Facebook, uh, and uh, my pages there are Golf uh, Talk Live blog, uh, my personal page, Ted Odorico, and also the Coach's Corner uh, page as well. Uh, I get updated there. And, of course, I update through most of the golf groups uh, on Facebook as well. So you can get me there uh, and find out who's going to be coming on the show and and all the good information. And uh, also uh, LinkedIn.com under my personal name. You'll find it there as well. I post every week there. And also on Twitter, for those of you following me on Twitter, and, again, thank you for all the new followers. Uh, My handle there is Ted and Buck, CEO, CEO in capital letters. Uh, As I mentioned, I got a great – I'm very, very excited this year about Coach's Corner Panel – uh, as I was just telling one of the guests as we were sort of waiting for the show to go live, um, very, very excited. I get a lot of great feedback from the listeners, uh, not just um, the coaches and teacher professionals that join the Coaches Corner panel each year, but uh, many of the listeners out there that really enjoy the interaction uh, with all of the coaches and, and pros that uh, we have on the Coaches Corner panel. So uh, brought it back again this year, and we're going to do some things a little bit differently again, uh, as in tonight and, and future shows. But let me bring the guys out here. Let me just introduce them. Uh, first up, of course, is a good friend, John Hughes. He's a PGA Master Professional and now the president. I want to clarify that. I put down vice president of the North Florida PGA section. Uh, so he's now the president. And also he was the recipient in 2013 of the PGA of America's Horton Smith Award. 
and he's also a top 30 instructor uh, with Golf Tips magazine. And also rounding out uh, the panel is uh, another good friend, Peter Egazarian, and he's both PGA and TPI uh, teach professional with the Traconic uh, Golf Club, and he's also the head men's golf coach with the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, also the founder of Northeast Golf Performance and a member of the Proponent Group. So, guys, uh, welcome back. This is your first uh, Coach's Corner panel of 2018. Happy New Year, Ted, Peter. <laughs> you too, John, Ted. <laughs> That's right, you back guys. Back together uh, again, first, John. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah, you guys, you guys did a lot. I think you timed it out uh, perfect again this year. I think pretty much throughout the whole season, you guys are going to be on together. And, and it's good, you know. I mean, I think sometimes uh, – uh, professionals gel really well with one another and you guys have, have obviously fit well and and uh, we're gonna have a great season this year um all right so guys what we're going to talk about tonight and this is kind of a um the, the general theme and i'm going to throw out some points here and that and then we're going to have a discussion um you know a lot of people want to be able to break 90 um you know a lot of people still struggle even to break 100 but even more i think try to break 90 and we're going to try and see if we can give some advice and tips on how they can do that in 30 days. Now, it's a little bit of a, uh, a leap, if you will, in some cases, but we're going to see if we can give some great sound advice. I'm going to read some things out here and uh, get you guys to sort of chime in. And, and John, if you don't mind, I'll start with you and then, and then Peter, and then I'll reverse the, uh, the order. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the overall strategy is I think that the golfer needs to simply think a little bit differently than what they, they currently are. Uh, and in order to be able to reach that goal of breaking 90 without really changing a lot necessarily to the swing, there might be some changes, but without having to necessarily reinvent the wheel. And I think one of the things, John, that uh, golfers, I think, can do as a way uh, to maybe help a little bit, uh, obviously in, on uh, our golf courses, there's par threes, par fours, and par fives. Um, maybe for some of our club golfers and our high handicap uh, amateurs out there, they can maybe convert those and add an extra par. So give me an example. Um, it might mean that they would play the par fives as a par six, let's say, and par four uh, as a five and respectively three as a four. Is that a good idea, do you think, to kind of just to mentally prepare themselves? And I obviously don't mean that in a competition uh, sense, but maybe just to um, uh, vision, not put so much pressure on them uh, by having that sort of extra par or in their mind thinking they've got an extra stroke. What are your thoughts? Great way. That, that's one way of looking at it. I, there's many different things that I give clients who are trying to break 90. I had two of them the past couple of days in a golf school setting, and one of them asked about that. And I, I throw out a lot of math that pertains to not only par, but uh, the number 90 and, and different statistics that comprise a 90, a person who shoots 90. And when it it's still pretty much the same ratio, whether as far as practicing and what you have to focus on. But what a lot of people have to realize is there's more there's more room to move. There's more room to improve when you're going from say 110 to 100. There's not as much room right. going from 100 to 90. There's not as much room going from 90 to 80. It just gets slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. But the the gist of it is it's still the same proportions based on what you need to get accomplished. And it it does teeter 60% to your short game. So when you're talking about a par five now becoming a par six, you may not have the 
the distance to get to a par five and two. You may not even have it in three, but if you do look at it as a six, I agree with you. It takes some pressure off you from right. trying to just beat the living you know what out of the ball to get it there. But when you know you can't, <laughs> you can make three solid swings, be there somewhere around the green and four, and go ahead and make your two putt. And now you've made six and you've accomplished right. what I call personal par. Um, right. When you do that, if you look at any logical math of uh, 98% of the courses in the U.S. or par 72s, adding one to par all the way around gets you to 90. Uh, it's, it's a really simple right. mathematic equation. And when you look at it that way, does it take some pressure off? It should. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you shouldn't feel like, hey, I'm, I'm giving in here. It's not that you're giving in. You're right. giving in to what you can do at the current moment. Until you commit to getting a little bit better at it, then, you know, that's your personal par. One over on everything. If you can play that consistently, that there's no argument you're playing consistently. You just can't tell somebody like Peter or I or you, Hey, I'm inconsistent. 18 straight bogeys, 18 straight pars. Come on, that's a, there are people out there that would kill for that. Right. Well said. And and that's the point, really. You know, John is, and I think you 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 hit it right on the head. Is you know that's your personal par. That's something to to sort of shoot for, and it does take that pressure off a little bit. I think a lot of times when people step up, especially on some of these tough courses today, and they step up and they see uh, a short par three. Uh, maybe they've got to clear some water or they've got to clear some, some sort of a hazard um, and they know they've only got three stor- strokes to make par, they know they're not likely going to do that. So adding that extra stroke on, on all the holes, as you said, to just to make that 90, uh, and then obviously ultimately what they want to do is by getting one of those um, extra strokes off their score automatically gets them below 90. So that's something they can shoot for. But I think that's a good point that you – or points that you raise is – is to, to sort of have that personal um, uh, par, if you will, um, but to relieve that, uh, to help relieve a little bit of the pressure. Um, Peter, I want to throw it to you, and I'm going to ask you, this is sort of a two-part uh, area, and, and just get your thoughts on that as well. Um, sure. You know, I think the idea when it, com- when it comes to putting, I think we, again, people focus too much on the hole itself, and they're trying to get, you know, super close, and obviously we want to get close, but uh, again, for some of our higher handicappers, maybe our club golfers that, that aren't uh, the best ball strikers out there, um, maybe sort of having uh, a, a visual target, something a little bit larger than, than a small uh, cup, uh, maybe a three-foot circle uh, to shoot for when they're going for the green. Uh, and also, uh, even with their chips, instead of, you know, again, focusing on that hole, uh, maybe uh, chipping and trying to get it within six feet, uh, giving themselves a good chance of, of a better chance of getting up and down. What are your thoughts on that? Um, is that a good idea? And is that something that you try and get, uh, especially with some of your higher handicap golfers, to, to instead of focusing on the cup itself, uh, maybe give them sort of an intermediate, not an intermediate target, but a, an alternate target to, to focus on, um, and ultimately they're going to get uh, better results long term. Yeah, I mean, Ted, I go even further back from that. You know, I, I go back to more of, you know, what they what they can do or already do to make really good quality contact. Um, and then generally if you give them some type of context or if the player has some type of context as to how they're, they can make 
you know, how they personally can make very good contact. Um, it, it starts to clean itself up and then controlling distance and direction doesn't become as much of a trial and error or guessing game for the person that's standing over the ball. Right. It's, it's a lot of times it's really interesting to, you know, really discuss with people about, you know, how they're feeling and how they're approaching and what they're thinking about over, you know, really any particular shot. Cause they, you know, that's a lot of what I do is it's just open discussion. Um, and it's, you know, it comes a lot of times first and foremost comes down to contact. And at that point, when they feel better about more confident about making good contact with the ball, their expectations change. And yeah, if it's, if it's something right. where we're looking to, you know, first of all, it's getting it on the green and then yep. feel confident about that. Okay. Let's get it within 15 feet. Okay, great. Let's get it within, you know, eight. Okay. And then once, you know, it's stages, it, it's levels of efficiency, it's levels of expectations, but it's, you know, to, it's fair, it's, fairly intimidating for the player to, you know, and standing in front of someone like John or myself to, you know, and I'm saying, okay, hit it within three feet and they're just trying to make contact. Right. You know, it's, it's, you have to really start at contact and then you can move on. That's, that's just, you know, helping people really at the club level. And that that's the first and foremost thing. Yeah, and I think I think really the point that that um, you know I want to make and, and great answer by the way, Peter, uh, you're exactly right. Is not necessarily getting them to you know hit their approach shot within three feet. I think even going back to what John was saying, you know about uh, adding that extra stroke. I think by people getting on the green and trying to maybe get their first putt and, and looking at it from okay. If I want to try and break 90, if I can get myself in a position to give me two putts on every hole, I want to try to get mm-hmm. that first putt within that three-feet uh, circle. And the same thing with the chips, not trying to put pressure on myself and trying to see if I can hole it. I mean, obviously, that's great. You want to uh, you know, aim, uh, obviously, towards the, the flag in that. But again, I don't want to put pressure on myself and saying I've got to get into uh, a tight uh, circle around there. If it happens, great. But again, you know, depending on the individual that you're dealing with, yeah, you want to be able to make sure they're confident yeah, I mean, uh, executing the, the shots. The, the the people that I've seen, at, no matter what scoring range, that they don't put, they don't give themselves that break. They have the, the they have an expectation of themselves that they're gonna they're gonna no matter what the length putt is, they're they want to either make it or be within a foot. You know, it's not. You know, right. it's generally self-imposed. <laughs> I don't know, John. You feel? Do you have? Right. Have you seen that as well? Uh, not, uh, I actually try to teach making it and, and having a smaller target. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. when you have the big target and, and you're not as skilled as some other people, that big target becomes bigger. It's the uh, same thing as trying to aim to a bullseye versus the dartboard. Aim to the bullseye, all the darts right. get on the dartboard kind of thing. So even though the expectation may be three feet, I will never at any skill level take the cup away from them. Uh, I'm, I'm dealing more with distance control. If you, don't, if you don't get it to the hole, how can it get in? 
and let's try to hit it a distance that gives it a chance to get in yet still stays within that quote-unquote three feet. Um, I see a lot of success with that, even with higher handicappers, less skilled people, people who don't practice as much, simply because the way the eyes and the brain work is they want to go to a smaller target, not necessarily a bigger one. A bigger one with a bigger margin of error if you get a little lackadaisical or if you don't trust what little bit of skills you have, it, believe it or not, it's just yep. as tough to get it in a big circle than it is a small circle. Right. Yeah. And that goes to your, as Peter pointed out, it goes to confidence. Um, and, and you're exactly right. And that's why I wanted to, to sort of pose these scenarios um, and, and really, you know, solicit some good discussion about it because I, I think you're, you're, you're both exactly right. I mean, I think there's, good to have some, some targets, but again, you don't want to um, sort of do something that's going to be detrimental um, to making some good uh, contact and saying, okay, well, I know I've got six feet now or I've got three feet uh, as opposed to, to actually going for it. I think that the idea of this exercise, guys, really is just to give the folks a little bit of an on alternative to not um, put too much pressure on themselves. And, and John, you raise it, and I'm going to go to you now, uh, you, you already sort of led into the conversation, but I'll get you to maybe expand a little bit more. And I think this is key for a, a lot of uh, our high handicap and club golfers particularly is really for them to know their distances. And most people have a pretty good idea. They're either uh, a right to, or left uh, ball striker. You know, they're either uh, hitting a little bit of a draw or they're hitting a fade or slice or whatever, however you want to term it. Um, but knowing the distance is going to make uh, a, a huge difference in how they play. Maybe touch a little bit about on that. And again, keeping in, in fact, the, the theme in mind, the theme that we're trying to keep tonight is breaking 90. What are some things that we can do to, to get the people that are tuning into the show tonight um, to really understand how important distance, uh, knowing the distance that you're hitting your clubs can help uh, bring those scores down to, to break 90. One of the first things my father did with me was have me understand what hitting pin high meant. And there was two ways of doing it. There was one way of, hey, I flew it all the way there. And the other way was, wow, it got there. And how we talk about that now is carry distance versus total distance if you're using technology me with flight scope and other people with other other ones when you know your carry distances you're in good shape when you know your total distances you're not as in good a shape because you really can't depend on how much the release and roll of the ball is it's totally out of your hands so when i'm talking right. to anybody i'm asking them how far do they carry something? So one of the neat things that happens with a higher handicapper doesn't practice as much, doesn't play as much, but they'll come for instruction is I'll ask them what their 150 club is and I'll let them tell me. Uh, I'll watch them hit that. I'll give them a 150 yard target on the range, no pressure. And if they're hitting it, great. 90% of the time they're hitting it much shorter than that in a carry distance. So inevitably on right. on the course with instruction, I'll ask them, well, you know, you're 150, let's pull your 150 club out. And it's not the same club or it is the same club and they come up continually short. And I'll ask them, well, 
when did that when did you hit that 150 and they mean it sincerely they'll say well three years ago one time on this course with the wind behind me i hit it 155 <laughs> right but what right. you have to understand about distance it's not an anomalistic thing it's a consistent trend of how far you hit it it's an average and when you know the average right. carry distance that's what you can control if it rolls by the hole, guess what? You've hit it pin high. And there are statistics, strong statistics, mm-hmm. that suggest that you're going to make a birdie more often when you're pin high or better. I've seen it with my mini tour yep. players. I've seen it with some professional tour players. They're much more precise with their yardages, but when they get it to the pin or better, their chances of making a birdie, their chances of recovering for par or even salvaging a bogey are that much better. So when it comes to care, when it comes to knowing your yardages, yeah, you need to know them with every club. But it's probably more important to know your carry distances because that's what you have control over, and that's where you're probably going to see most of your improvement as you improve. You'll see the ball carry longer. It'll be higher in the air for a longer time in the air, and that's what we all get thrills about. So that's that's what you really have to focus on, and not focus on a one-time only thing. What is it? What is it that you do on average? Because when you know your average, it's easier to make smarter decisions on the golf course with that information. Yeah, and and, and that well said, John. You know that that's a, a key thing, guys. And and I know you know we know this being in the business, but a lot of amateurs and and John, that was a great example because I think. Uh, Peter and I can attest to it. We've heard this over the years. You know, two, three years ago, I hit my club, you know, X distance, um, maybe a couple of times or something, and like you say, with a stiff wind behind me or what have you. Um, but, again, they don't know mm-hmm. that that uh, on average distance. Um, Peter, uh, you know, here, here's another area, too, that I think that can probably help a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts on, on this, and that is taking yeah. trouble out of play. Um, obviously, on a golf course, we're going to be we're going to be faced with all kinds of uh, difficult challenges. It might be uh, out of bounds. It might be water. Um, so we want to take that possibility out by maybe laying up in some cases. Um, obviously, the goal here is is to get rid of those really bad triple bogeys or, or higher on holes, uh, which so many uh, high handicappers fall into. Um, what are your thoughts there about you know coming to holes where there might be a lot of trouble? Uh, is it the smarter play for them? Should they be laying up more instead of trying to play some of these hero shots and, and going for it all the time. When, when do they, when does that sort of factor in, do you think? I think it factors in all the time. Um, no matter really what scoring range you're in. I mean, right now we're talking about breaking 90, but you know, if a player can get, go on the golf course equipped with maybe two, you know, of their really confident yardages, and that maybe it's something inside 100 yards they feel really confident in. If it's something from, you know, 100 to 150, whatever yardage that might be, and then playing to that yardage in general from the tee, whatever they need to hit to get to that right. yardage, or maybe there's a second shot and, you know, so their third shot is the most confident yardage to the green, whatever you need to get, to whatever your most confident yardage is. You know, I have a couple of players that, you know, just 120 yards is just really confident. 
you know, you get them out there and you, you drop a ball or, if I, you know, if I have them on track, man, and I give them 120 yards, their body language changes. They're the speed at which they end up, you know, pulling the trigger. They just get up there and they're extremely confident. And whatever you need to, if you can play a hole from that point backwards and then make your decisions based off that, um, it can really positively impact your scoring just because you're you're not putting yourself in a in a place that you know you're saying wow this is how far I have I don't I don't feel like I have that shot or if I feel like I'm really far from the hole you're forcing yourself to hit you know a, a longer club off the ground that they're not very confident in it, it gets and then never mind to put the trouble into the left right or in front of the green or over the green whatever it might be you know you add in those right. factors it becomes almost insurmountable if they're facing a shot that they're just not confident in. So with my players, I'm just really working to help identify that confident club or that confident yardage that, you know, I think John actually said, you know, a couple times last year when we were on together, you know, what's wrong with hitting, you know, two clubs that go 150 or 100 if you need to go 200 yards. You know, it's something along just along that lines of what John said last year, but um, that trouble becomes less intimidating if they're, you know, hitting from that confident yardage or confident club. Yeah, and, and sort of a follow-up, Peter, um, to, to yeah. that question is, you know, obviously if, if we find ourselves in trouble – and again, I want to keep this in perspective. You know, we're talking about our higher handicap players. Obviously, the better players uh, are going to have a different strategy. But with our higher handicap players, particularly um, that are looking to try and get down, you know, to 90 or below 90, um, mm-hmm. they're obviously going to get from time to time. It's going to happen. They're going to get into trouble. What should they, you know, should they be looking at getting just getting themselves back into the fairway rather than trying to, you know, needle it through maybe a couple of trees or something? Is that the smarter play and, and going to give them the better opportunity or greater chance of success than trying to, you know, play a hero shot. Um, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, the practicality of, you know, breaking 90 is to, you know, bump it out into the fairway, you know, just take whatever club you feel comfortable with and hit it onto the fairway, hit it backwards if you have to, just to get yourself back in play. And it's taking, you know, one shot, uh, adding one shot to your score, and kind of still putting you in that line of, of bogey at worst. Um, you know, but a lot of times, what's the fun in that? You know, that's, I, I get it. You know, you're, yeah. you're out there having, a, you know, to have a good time, and you just watch, you know, whatever LPGA or PGA Tour player pull off this amazing shot. In the back of your mind, you have that. I mean, it's, it's real. You know, you're saying, oh, there's that window. I can do this like this person. And that's fun. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I mean, it, but, you know, if you're really looking at your score and you and you want to really, that's your goal is to break 90 or, um, you know, you're bumping it out into the fairway and, and just taking that extra shot to, you know, get yourself back in play is, is definitely the most practical thing to do. Yeah, and, and I think you're, you're exactly right in, in your analogy, Peter. I think that, you know, the average player, I think, thinks exactly what you just said a minute ago. And that is, well, you know what? I, I saw somebody, you know, hit a shot similar to this uh, on tour last year. And I think I can pull it off and it is fun to, to try and experiment a little bit, 
But I think for a player that's maybe like, getting ready to play – sorry, go ahead. It's not even a fact ahead, they Peter. think they can pull it off. They just feel like it's fun to try. Like, I, I right. mean, it's part, of the, part, at that, you know, part of that is just out there having a good time. And for them, it might be just a really fun thing to do is to try to hit a low cutting, you know, four iron through a, you know, a, maybe a five by five window that, you know, is just not practical. But sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Yeah. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it is fun, and, and I don't have a problem in, in people doing that. But I think there's a, a pretty large group of people out there that are really have been struggling for years and wanting to, to get that, and maybe they've done some of that. Maybe they've you know, tried to thread the needle, if you will, on a lot of shots, and, and you know, they've had some fun, but they're now getting a little bit frustrated because they're not seeing that improvement. Um, John, I want to jump to you now, and, and this is uh, sort of in line to what your earlier question about, um, you know, knowing your club's distance. Um, but I think another part to that, component to that, is also um, what do you think about not hitting clubs that you're particularly confident with? Um, you know, obviously we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to necessarily be confident with every club in the bag. Even some of the pros have their favorite clubs. Um, what are your thoughts there, Um do we avoid it uh, and wait and, and work with that particular club at another time? Uh, or, or do we just suck it up and, and give it our best shot regardless? There's a happy medium in everything. But if you have to find that one club in the bag that is your confident club, why not use it? A, a couple of practical real-life stories that come to mind – I can remember using a sand wedge for everything I hit from 50 yards and in. It wouldn't matter if I'm four feet off the green or 40 yards off the green. I was confident with it. I learned to use it. I learned to do the different shots with it. Uh, I was able to get creative with it. And as I got creative and more confident, then I was willing to experiment with some other clubs. So it gave me the basis to start expanding my horizons. But then from another angle, I can't remember what year, but Johnny Bench, the Hall of Fame catcher from the Cincinnati Reds, Mm -hmm. used to host a golf show on ESPN. This is probably back in between 86 and 88. I can't recall the name of the show. And he would show right. some different things and have different guest people on. And one day he pulled out a club and he says, I'm going to play this par five with this one club. And I want to say it was a six or a seven iron. And it was a 500 and some odd yard hole. And he was just short of the green, like probably 30 yards, 20 yards maybe, after hitting this club mm-hmm. three times. Used the same club to chip up and was within three feet pulled his putter out, knocked it in for par. And he turned around and he says, you know, this a long time ago was my favorite club. And what I'm trying to prove to you is if you've got one club that you can hit really, really well, you can do that around the golf course, realizing that you're going to make some sacrifices in one direction. But the one thing you gain from it is not only the confidence, if you're that confident with the club, you'll be more consistent. So it's it's sort of a double-edged sword. Yeah, you want to be able to hit all the clubs. That takes practice. It takes 
training your equilibrium to balance the end of that golf club, and the longer the end of that golf club gets, the harder it is to balance it. If you've got one that you love, you're probably well in balance when you swing. Why not use it? But as you use that one, if you can find a way to get creative with it, can you knock it down? Can you hit it high? Can you hit it a little left to right? Can you hit it a little right to left? That's shot making. That's old school, which is a sort of a lost art, but necessary to gain improvement. What It doesn't matter whether you're going from 100 to 90 or trying to break 70. When you can learn to get right. that creative with a club and have that kind of confidence in it, it bleeds throughout the rest of the club set. You just have to learn to balance the rest of the club set trying to create that skill. Yeah, well said. You know, it reminds me, um, last year I had uh, Wally Armstrong on the show as a guest, and um, I reminded him of a segment years and years ago that he had done on the early days of the Golf Channel where he did something very similar to what you just described, John, where he had a, uh, I believe it was a seven iron, a pitching wedge, and a putter, and he played uh, a par five, four, and par three respectively. And he actually ended up after playing all three holes was one under par. And the point he was trying to prove in, in that is, is similar to what you were trying to say is, you know, you don't necessarily have to hit it, you know, 250 yards off the tee, um, but hitting clubs, you know, the clubs that you choose, uh, whether it be again, seven or your favorite clubs, hitting them consistently and solid, you can play virtually every course. Now, I want to digress a little bit because obviously at the time when, when he was doing that, uh, you know, we weren't dealing with 7,500 to 8,000 uh, yard golf courses. So I know there's a little bit of a, an adjustment there probably, but um, I think he proved the point that, you know, you didn't necessarily have to, you know, hit the ball a long distance. It was a matter of hitting it consistently. And that's obviously what Johnny Bench was trying to prove as well by, by, you know, choosing a club that, uh, he was comfortable hitting and was obviously able to par that hole. And that's essentially what Wally did. He just had three clubs uh, that he walked around with and did essentially the same thing and ended up shooting on three holes, one under. So, you know, I, I think that your, your point, John, of, of really, if you've got a favorite club or maybe even a couple of clubs in the, in the bag, I think if you work uh, at hitting that well and have that as your go-to club, um, you know, when you're faced with, with whatever you might be challenged with out in the golf course, I think is certainly going to help. Um, Pete, I, I want to ask you something. John had mentioned a little bit earlier about being maybe a little bit more precise, uh, uh, you know, at going for the target. Uh, but when we're dealing with some of our, our you know, high handicap golfers, um, maybe going for the pin all the time isn't necessarily – because uh, as we know, most golf courses usually uh, put the pins in, in pretty challenging areas. Is it a smart play maybe to aim for the bigger part of the green and, again, rely on maybe a two-putt if we're if our goal is to try and break 90? What, what are your thoughts there? If it's, if it's practical, I would just – if they're at a yardage where they can reach the green, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling them go right for the middle, yeah. but also if it really helps if they just understand their ball flight and where to, where to aim. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just, I've found that people in that scoring range have, um, have more curve than most, 
but understanding, you know, if they understand which way it's going to curve, they can they can aim a little better so it's going to land a little more in the middle of the green. And uh, generally speaking, uh, at least in the northeast, if you're in the middle of the green, you're not going to be too, too far uh, from the hole. So it's more than practical if you're just looking really to lower your score at that range. It's a lot of, I mean, it makes complete sense. There's the flag. It's, you know, up on the back right shelf or back right, you know, little finger of the green that you want to hit it close. And that's how we're wired. I get it. Um, if you're feeling really good yeah. about it, if you're feel, if you have a club in your hand and you're just, you're feeling great, go with it, go for it. Never going to, never going to discourage anybody that's standing over it feeling really confident. Um, but if, if there's some uncertainty or if you're out of yardage, mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, again, stretching you out, you know, you're hitting three wood off the deck to try to make it to the green. It's probably like, it's yeah. probably more confident to, to dice that up into two parts and hit two pitching wedges or, or whatever it might be, two six irons to get to the green and feel better about it. And, but I would definitely say if, if you're in a range where you feel like you can definitely make it um, middle of the green, if you get over the ball, you're feeling really confident, just go for it. Um, and if, if it works out, then great. If not, it, you know, you're, you're most likely going to be somewhere right in the middle of the green or, or somewhere where you have an opportunity to putt because it, it, it really has to, I, you know, I keep talking about confidence, but if you're standing over it and you're not right. confident, it, you're making, you need to make a different decision. Um, you know, the, the plan that you have in place, if you're standing over it and you're questioning it still, you need to just kind of take two seconds and make a different plan because it's the, the plan you've made is, is not, not the right one for you. Right. And, 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 and again, I, I agree with you. And I, I, I think wholeheartedly it does boil down to confidence. I mean, obviously a, a, a player that has been playing for, uh, a number of years and knows their yardages, knows um, how well they hit to their clubs. If they're not stretching it, as you pointed out, then by all means, I think if if they're confident with the club in their hand and standing over the ball, then, then by all means go for it. But um, I agree. I think if there's a little bit uncertainty uh, or particularly if there's a lot of uncertainty, then maybe scale it back. And as you said, maybe hit a couple of six irons or depending on the shot, um, you know, mix it up a little bit more as, as John had, uh, you pointed out, John earlier had, had said in last season's show, um, mm-hmm. you know, don't always, you know, pick the long club or the, the wood off the deck and, and try to go for it if, if you don't feel uh, uh, the confidence there to do it. Um, John, what about, um, you know, we've talked a little bit here tonight about consistency and, and distance and things like that. Um, what about another way, too, of, of maybe clubbing down and, and maybe scaling back to more three-quarter swings, uh, maybe swing at 70% powder, uh, power Excuse me, um, in order to keep that consistency. Uh, is that something that you advise some clients sometimes if you know that they're you know, going at it full throttle and they're just not getting consistent? Do you try to encourage them to scale it back, maybe not necessarily to 70%, but uh, maybe scale it back to a lesser percentage of, of their full power in order to regain some of that consistency? Peter, I think you're going to agree with me. I do this all the time, all the time when it comes to trying to feel a difference between what you're doing now versus what you'd like to accomplish later on from an improvement standpoint of view, from a 
practical mm-hmm. application playing? Sure, why not? Uh, with my clients the past couple of days, I show them several times where they just, I'll use the term, swing out of your shoes. You're, you're trying to get more out of the club than meets the eye. You're trying to hit your career yardages, and you've got some variables that you forgot about. Wind in your face, you're in the rough, poor lie in the fairway, whatever the case may be. When you can take a little bit more club, swing in balance and under control and make good, solid ball-to-club contact, you're probably nine times out of ten going to hit a great miss. And it doesn't take a lot of effort to hit a great miss as long as you do the shot you tried to swing out of your shoes. That's the biggest aha moment that I see people breaking 90 or wanting to break 90 uh, experience. It'll be like, wow, I didn't know I could only swing 70% and still hit it as far as I do at 100%. When they can experience that aha moment on the golf course in particular, it makes it that much more valuable. Uh, I say it till I'm blue in the face. Hey, when you're trying to improve, it's not about distance. It's about getting solid ball club contact, great impact, and having it go straight. Organically, you are going to pick up distance. Now, I've said this before in other shows, but I'll say it a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. When you're watching a child learn to walk, and they're walking too fast, they will fall over. And the reason for it is your equilibrium is not developed. It just isn't. It's not developed to a horizon. And until it does, you cannot pick up speed. But as your equilibrium gets balanced, it will pick up speed organically. When the child falls Mm -hmm. over, we are hardwired to quarter it back. Some of the science out there right now says that if you're moving at 100 miles an hour and fall over, when you get up, you'll only move at 75. That's just the way we're hardwired. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we become an adult, we forget about that. We're, hey, we're an adult. We're not an infant anymore. We don't learn that way. Totally false. We're hardwired that way. So combine the two things that I've talked about here. Biophysically, this is the way we're hardwired. And B, if you bring it down a notch and you're just that little bit more accurate with less effort, can you imagine how you could be if you consistently did this? You're just working within yourself. When the above 90 player gets that, that is one of the aha moments from a ball striking standpoint of view. And from that point on, I I see significant improvement with scoring, but I see more significance in what they're doing with the golf ball and and the decisions they're making because they're still aggressive, but they're staying within themselves, within their aggression versus trying to be someone they're not. Yeah, well said, John. No, I agree, and and that's really why I wanted to bring that point up is because, you know, we see it time and time again, and I think a lot of people are under, um, and I think this is where sometimes the stats that we, we hear, um, you know, on tour that they give out, you know, with swing speed and club head speed, you know, we think that these, uh, and, and in some cases they are, but most cases they're not, that these guys are just, you know, swinging for the hills, and really, they're actually swinging within themselves. Obviously, some of the younger guys have a little bit more uh, power. But 
you know, they're not coming out of their boots. I mean, if you look like a, a player, um, players like Freddie Couples and, and Ernie Els, to give you an example, um, could generate phenomenal, especially Freddie could gener- uh, generate phenomenal club head speed, but yet it looked like he was barely swinging the club. And then you get a guy like, um, um, I'm trying to think of uh, Nick Price, who had sort of a short but very quick pace swing. Uh, I'm sure if you ran them side by side, they would look in, entirely different on the outside, but their club head speed uh, might not be that that much different. So, you know, I, I think you're exactly right in, in your analogy, John, is is I think that you have to be able to swing within yourself. And if scaling it back a little bit is going to narrow the the consistency of your ball striking, ultimately you're going to get better results. And and maybe there might be instances where you can ratchet it up a little bit, but this is a problem that I see a lot uh, with, with people that I've worked for is they're, they're trying to hit it too hard. They're trying to swing the club uh, too fast because thinking that, you know, if I generate more speed, I'm going to get more distance when in actuality, if they swing within themselves and just, you know, um, swing with a, a fluid and balanced tempo and timing, um, they're going to hit it just as far, if not farther, than trying to murder it. So uh, I, I like your points. I like the the analogy of of the toddler. I think that was a great way of of, uh, of making your point. Um, guys, just we've got about maybe uh, ten or so minutes left because I want to give you guys a couple of minutes to let the folks know how they can reach out if they want. Um, we've got to put together a, pl- a practice plan very quickly here, and I'm just going to highlight some things, and I just want to get each of your thoughts. Um, what you think of this and and obviously there's going to be some modification because not everybody has a lot of time uh to get out and practice but if we're going to put a practice plan we, these are areas that we want to cover um putting chipping pitching you know bunker play uh obviously in today's uh game we're working with not just irons but hybrids as well uh and then also but our misses in that so if we're going to work on our putting and we want to again under the theme of trying to break 90 um Let's talk. Let's kind of go down the list uh, fairly quickly, if we can. And and uh, Peter, if you want to start off putting, what would be? I, I got an example here of maybe some four foot putts. Try to hole, you know, maybe 50 of them a week. Um, maybe 100 uh, 20 foot lag putts. You know, try to get them within that uh, two to three foot circle. Um, are those some good drills uh, to put together in a practice plan, or do you have something maybe a little different in mind? You know, I, I would definitely say that to, to break 90, you're looking at controlling distance. You know, your ability to control your balls okay. um, is going to be definitely paramount because your your distance control is absolutely going to determine your, the target you select. So, uh, you know, a lot of times in that sense, I, I like to put, you know, a point value there. I put, you know, basically an alignment stick just about five feet past the hole. And I have them work with constraints. Um, I, you know, and I'm say, you know, groups of five putts, you know, it's, you know, two points if you make it one point, if you get past the hole, but you don't hit the the rod. And if you're short of the hole or past the rod or hit the rod, it's minus a point. And I have them work right in that. Um, yeah. and I'd let them pick the distance. It might be 30 feet. It might be 25. It might be 15, yep. five feet. Um, you know, I don't give them that constraint, but you know, that's also something at times that we decipher in in our private sessions. But also, you know, that's really something in my coaching programs that we do in practice. 
you know, because we have two hours of practice. They, you know, stay for generally an hour of it. But we set up those types of situations where there's a, you know, a constraint and a consequence. And a lot of times the people that are practicing don't make their practice or training hard enough. Um, and they sit there with just hitting 30 footer after 30 footer. And there's no, there's no consequence to it going, you know, 10 feet by or whatever it might be or 10 feet short. And they're not able to regulate themselves. I mean, it's, so if there's enough of a enough a little bit enough of a con- consequence where they can say okay this is a little closer to actually playing golf it's the time they're spending 20 minutes half an hour whatever it might be is going to be you know I as I tell people worth an hour and a half of just regular practice that set that 20 minute session you just put in was extremely valuable and yeah you, then you can move on and potentially work on something else um so i there's i don't have the illusion that people have time everybody no matter who you are is extremely busy and if i'm writing practice plans it's within for whatever facet they're they're working on it's at 20 minute blocks and that everything has a constraint and a consequence and it's that's all that's it and then they can go about their day, and yeah. that's well within their attention span because it's very well documented that people tend to start checking out right about 25 to 30 to 28 minutes in that range. And then that's just about mm-hmm. their, the amount of attention they're going to give you. So that that's it. 20 minutes, really concentrated, constraint, consequence, that's it. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, um, John. And again, I know we're not going to have time to go through all of these things, but maybe, you know, we we obviously want to, our players to to put together some sort of a practice plan. And and again, as Peter just uh, pointed out, um, you know, there's time restraints. People are busier today than maybe what they might have been 20 years ago. Uh, and you know, I've got other commitments, so it's not always easy to get them out to the golf course to, to put together and that. So we want to give them. I guess the biggest bang for the buck uh, and get them working on some sort of regiment, some of the stuff they can do at home and some of the stuff they can do uh, obviously at the golf course. Uh, but we want to, to certainly have some sort of a practice plan because ultimately the goal is we want them to, to really focus on breaking 90. So just put some thoughts together, what you think, um, how you want to allocate their time, uh, you know, on a weekly basis to, uh, to try and get the most out of the practice sessions uh, to be able to help achieve that goal. So similarly to Peter, I'm under the absolute, not the assumption, but the absolute that no one has time. So based on that, I am given homework. I am given certain things to, for people to do that can either loosen their muscles and joints and have them move more freely that can uh, do different things for them from an impact standpoint of view based on the resources they have, but it boils down to numbers. And these are hard and fast numbers that have been around for a long, long time. The average male golfer in the U.S. shoots 98.7. That number hasn't moved too much over the past 30 years. Let's round that out to 98 and give everybody a benefit of the doubt. That number represents three real glaring statistics. You're hitting 1.9 greens in a round. You're hitting maybe... 
four fairways, and you're putting 38 times. Par allows you 36, so there's two. Take that off. That's 96. If you hit four more greens, which means you don't have to get up and down four more times, there's six to eight strokes right there. And if you hit one more fairway, not not two, not three, just one more fairway, the likelihood of you hitting an extra green on top of that is there. Those are the numbers. And when I get someone to understand the numbers, now they start understanding where the relevant time, say, split into an hour, how they should be practicing. It is four-foot putts. Can you drain three or four in a row? Very much like Peter, here's a constraint, here's the goal, here's the scrimmage, yep. challenge yourself. Distance control with putting. If you did nothing but those two things, learn how to hit a four-foot putt in 90% of the time and be able to control your putts, you're golden. You're off the green 16 times. Most of the time you're going to have a chip shot or a variation of thereof. Just learn to hit a chip shot with one club. Learn to land it on the green, let it release and roll. Experiment with that. That's a 10-minute that's a practice in itself. Can you hit more greens? Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. you got to go out to the targets on your range. If there's not enough, go out there and put some out yourself at various distances and challenge yourself, can I hit this carry? to this yardage and imagine just a target circle and then from a hitting a fairway it's not about length it's just about accuracy can you imagine that fairway out in the drive in the driving range with one flag representing the right side another flag representing the left side and a tree at the end of the range or another flag at the end of the range as your ultimate target you're trying to hit and just role play how you're going to play something, how you're going to play any hole. You can break that down into 15 minutes putting, 10 minutes chipping, another 15, 10 minutes max uh, hitting targets, 10 minutes driving. You still have some time left over, and you don't have to do it all in one hour. You can do it in 10 or 15 or 20-minute chunks and get a whole lot more value out of how you practice, but it's based on the real numbers. And as I said earlier in the hour, those numbers don't change. It's just the proportion of that improvement gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And if you look at the best players in the world, they still use that kind of percentages as they practice. Not improve, as they practice. And that's, that's how it all plays out. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, knowledge is, is everything. I think the more that you understand, uh, the average player out there understands. And, and really the purpose of tonight, guys, you know, obviously we, we, we're realistic. We know that um, people are not just going to go out tomorrow and, and break 90, you know, listening to the discussion tonight. Uh, I mean, it would be great if they did. But the idea of, of the conversation is to give them some things and pause to think about things that maybe they hadn't considered before, uh, give them a, a, a guiding light, if you will. But ultimately what we want them to do is to get in touch, and I'm going to give you guys a, a second here um, to do just that, but to get in touch with their local uh, professional that they can work with uh, and help put some of these plans uh, and some of these points that we've talked about tonight into a little bit more perspective. Uh, sometimes another set of eyes and even another set of ears uh, you know, can, can help uh, – you know, for us listening to what the, the players are, are looking to do, what challenges they're looking to overcome, and then giving them some, some thoughts and some ideas and showing them 
um, you know, through through our uh, instruction on how they can accomplish some of these goals. So, um, having said that, uh, Peter, I'm going to let you go first. Um, let the folks know if they're interested in reaching out to, to you, how they can go about doing that. Yeah, uh, Ted, thanks for having me on again, John. Always great to be with you. Always great to you know learn from you as well. Um, but if people want to reach out, um, my website is uh, gogolfcoach.com. Uh, they can reach out on uh, Instagram or at uh, at daily dot coach daily golf dot coach I should say, and um, my name on Facebook and um, Twitter is Daily Golf Pro. That's that's about it. And uh, thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure, Peter. And thanks uh, uh, as always for your input. And. Uh, I know all of your, your contact information. They can find it, all of those uh, various mediums that you just mentioned. Uh, John, what about you? How can the folks reach out? Uh, very simply, John Hughes Golf. If you can remember that, that's Twitter, that's Facebook, that's my website with the .com, that's Instagram, uh, that's LinkedIn, you name it. It's JohnHughesGolf.com or just at John Hughes Golf. Peter, always great to share some time with you here. I learn as much from you, uh, more so than you think, and I appreciate the time. Ted, always an honor. Uh, I would challenge (laughs) that person trying to break 90, just find one thing and make it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Make it simple and watch how diligently but yet – consistently your improvement will happen. Don't try to confuse too many things. Pick out what you think is the most important, whether it's based on the numbers or based on what you're seeing in your game. Find that one thing. Concentrate on it. Watch your scores go down. There's a reason for it. And if you do that over the course of a 30-day period, don't be surprised if you break 90. Yeah, well said. Great way to end the segment. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, doing your ver- uh, very first Coach's Corner of, of the uh, 2018 season. I look forward to having you guys back uh, many, many more times as the year progresses. Uh, guys did a fantastic job, as always. It, it makes me look good, number one, and and makes my, uh, my job a lot easier. So thanks, guys. Uh, keep doing the great work, and I look forward to you guys on the panel uh, uh, next time here on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, and have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, guys. You as well. All right. That was uh, my very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, uh, John Hughes and Peter Egazarian, uh, two great professionals. Uh, you can find them all over social media. Uh, you definitely want to reach out if you're looking to improve your game. And uh, while I wait for my, my special guest to come on tonight, uh, let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And if you just go to blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash golf talk live or just type golf talk live up in the search key, uh, that will bring you to the main page. <clears throat> and during the live broadcast, of course, uh, it will be front and center. Um, but for some reason, if you can't join us live, not to worry. Uh, anytime after the show has, has ended uh, in, in about another hour's time, if you go to that link and just scroll down to the on demand section, uh, right at the top uh, will be tonight's show, and then as you scroll down, you'll get all of the previously aired shows right back uh, to the very beginning. We're in year six. It's hard to believe. Uh, we've uh, just started in our, our sixth season here on Golf Talk Live, 
and about our fourth season, I think, for Coach's Corner, um, and been an integral part. I've got a great group of, of golf professionals from all over the United States uh, that come on the show uh, each and every week as part of the panel discussions, and uh, we mix the sort of have a mixed bag, if you will, uh, each week. So uh, very, very seldomly do we ever have the same guys on each week. Sometimes uh, if we have a no-show or uh, uh, somebody has to swap out, we might get uh, uh, a couple of them that may pop in back-to-back, but very, very seldomly. Usually come on, uh, some of the guys like to come on once a month. Some of them, uh, depending on their schedule, might only be able to do a few shows a year, but uh, I appreciate them all. Uh, they've done a fantastic job over the last uh, several years that we've done the coaches corner panel and I get some great feedback. So uh, we're going to keep going as, as long as you guys uh, want to hear it. Um, also, let me remind you uh, some other ways that you can tune into the program as well. Uh, if you want to, maybe you're somebody that uh, likes to frequent iTunes uh, or Stitcher or even tune in. Uh, if you go to uh, iTunes, Stitcher or tune in.com and again, type in golf talk live, you can listen on any of those uh, media platforms as well. Uh, so we're literally all over the place. Uh, you can find Golf Talk Live and uh, always enjoy doing these shows. Uh, my very special guest tonight, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him while I wait for him to uh, to come on board. Uh, my guest uh, this evening is uh, Jeremy Hutchins, and he is the uh, owner and CEO of Golf Manhattan. And uh, Jerry, uh, Jeremy excuse me, grew up in St. Charles, Missouri, which is just outside St. Louis. Uh, he learned to golf at a pretty young age, but uh, uh, other sports such as basketball and baseball and, and even track uh, sort of dominated his time. So he never uh, did have the opportunity to play competitive golf, but uh, nevertheless did uh, take it up pretty young. Uh, he did, uh, as he finished college, he became more and more obsessed with the game uh, and started trying uh, to get uh, better over time, as, as we all do. And over the last few years, as he explored a career in, in uh, custom menswear, uh, he toyed uh, with the idea of, of teaching golf uh, as sort of a, a side uh, venture, if you will. And in October, this past October, he came across uh, Golf Manhattan and uh, came to find out that it was in uh, uh, struggling business in need of some change and need of uh, some fresh investment and uh, in need of a new owner. So he saw a huge opportunity and due to the potential of the business and especially in a growing market, uh, he just dis- uh, decided to uh, take a leap of faith and has had uh, several strong uh, months and uh, has really enjoyed the challenges associated with running the business as well as uh, challenges of teaching the lessons. So um, we're going to bring out uh, Jeremy here in just a moment. Um, as I said, I'm just waiting for him to uh, to come on board. But um, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting. Uh, you know, it's an indoor facility, obviously, and we'll talk a little bit more about that and some other things and what uh, he has to offer. It's not just about... Uh, going in and, and taking lessons and, and hitting uh, golf shots. Uh, there's a little bit more to it, so we'll talk to him as well. Uh, don't forget to, uh, again, uh, tune in each week from 6 to 8 Central here on uh, the Golf Talk Live uh, show, which is uh, featured on blogtalkradio.com and also on iTunes, Stitcher, and tunein.com. Uh, also on Tuesday mornings on the same network, blogtalkradio.com, and also the other platforms that I just mentioned, um, you can also get me Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 with my uh, co-host, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, on the Women of Golf Show, another great show that we uh, feature and, and uh, is geared more to the women's market. And uh, it's uh, every Tuesday morning on blogtalkradio.com, and uh, you can find that from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time 
uh, on those uh, social media platforms. And we've got some great guests uh, coming up as well on that program. And uh, that was a show that we started. We're actually in uh, season five uh, for the women of golf. I started, of course, golf. Golf Talk Live uh, just six years ago, and about a year after that, uh, I decided that I wanted to have a show as well that uh, sort of was more tailored to the, the women's market just because there really wasn't a lot out there at that time. Uh, there's certainly been more uh, programs coming forth since then, but um, and uh, through some conversations with uh, Cindy Miller, uh, she found uh, the concept very interesting and decided to come on board, and uh, we've been doing a uh, I think a great job in showcasing some of the very highly talented, uh, not only women golf professionals uh, in, in the playing side of things, but also uh, some great business professionals as well in all areas of the golf industry. Uh, and uh, we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep mixing things up. And one of the things that we're going to do this year, and I kind of stole it from the coach's corner uh, idea uh, with a little bit of a twist, but every uh, third uh, Tuesday beginning uh, this month, which will be, I believe, is the 20th uh, of March. Uh, I believe that's the Tuesday. Uh, we're going to be featuring a panel discussion. And uh, so we're going to test the waters, if you will, on the women's show. And every third Tuesday of the month, we're going to have a great uh, panel assembled in addition to Cindy and I. And we're going to have some interesting topics that uh, obviously important to uh, our women uh, golfers out there and, and professionals and, and just any any anybody can really obviously tune in, but uh, we're really trying to target that market. I think it's a, a very fast and growing market. It has been for the last several years. I think the golf industry has finally recognized the fact that uh, the women's market uh, is, is fast. In fact, it's uh, I believe it's the ages 14 to uh, early 30s, if I'm not mistaken, is the fastest growing and the biggest uh, market uh, in the golf industry every year for the last several years. So they're starting to realize that uh, young women and women of all ages really uh, are, are wanting and have a desire to, to take up golf uh, or uh, get back into golf, if you will. So um, we'll see what happens. And uh, Cindy and I, as I said, are going to keep uh, working through uh, that program each and every year. And uh, we're going to try with some panel discussions this year and see how that goes. And if we find that uh, it continues to uh, develop, then we may add some more uh, panel discussions uh, throughout some of the other shows. But we're going to test the waters this year uh, by doing every third Tuesday of the month, beginning March 20th, I believe. And uh, we've got a great panel lined up for that date. And I'll tell you a little bit more as we get closer uh, about that. But uh, as I said, I'm just waiting for uh, Jeremy Hutchins, the owner and CEO of Golf Manhattan, uh, just to come on board. And uh, once he does, then we'll uh, we'll get into to, uh, the discussion. And uh, just, again, keep in mind to um, for all of the listeners out there that uh, have been faithfully tuning in, I want to thank you very much for, for doing so. You've uh, helped to make this show really grow, and uh, there's been a lot of great support for it. All right, I see my very special guest is uh, ready to come on board, so let me uh, welcome my very special guest this evening on Golf Talk Live, uh, Jeremy Hutchins, the owner and CEO of Golf Manhattan. Jeremy, hey, welcome to you? the show. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm doing much very for well, Jeremy. I've already it. not a problem. Uh, I've already taken the liberty of of letting the folks know a little bit about your your background and that. So we'll just jump right into uh, our discussion tonight. I, I know you're uh, probably been having a busy day today, so uh, you're probably uh, relieved to get a little bit of time off and and just sit back and relax. So let's just take the next little while and and have a great conversation. Um, I talked a little bit about. 
uh, you personally and, and sort of how you got into golf and, and, and your interest in that and obviously uh, your recent uh, uh, you know, in, investment into uh, Golf Manhattan. But for those that maybe aren't familiar with what uh, Golf Manhattan is, just explain a little bit about uh, uh, your, your business and, and where it's located. Sure. Um, and thanks for giving everybody a little background. Um, we are an indoor golf simulator facility. So private room simulators, meaning uh, real clubs, real balls into a screen, simulated results shown on screen. Um, we have three private rooms, a bar space in the middle. So it's a simulator facility slash social facility. So sports bar essentially surrounding the activity of golf. And we're located right in Midtown Manhattan, which is kind of nestled between Bryant Park and Times Square. So we're on 39th Street, mm -hmm. if anybody's familiar with the city, just west of 6th Avenue. Mm -hmm. So kind of right, right in the hub oh, wow. of transportation, super convenient location, um, up in an office building in what was designed as an office space, but built out by the previous ownership into this uh, wonderful golf oasis in the city. <laughs> and let me tell you, folks, I know there's a lot of, uh, for those um, um, listeners tuning in tonight, uh, especially up in the Northeast, um, that are, you know, have been sort of battening down the hatches here recently with all of the storms going through. Uh, I know a lot of them have been itching to get out in the golf course, and it's not quite uh, quite warm enough to do that for, for most of you up there. So, uh, and not everybody has the, the uh, luxury or the time to uh, venture on south where I am. Uh, so what a great uh, opportunity for them to get out and tune up their game a little bit and, and in a social environment. Let, let's talk about the business a little bit first, uh, Jeremy, and then I, I know that there's some things that, that you want to uh, talk about specifically. But um, sure. first off, tell us about, you've told us a little bit about the setup of the facility. Um, what are the business hours uh, that, that it's open for? So currently we're open from 8.30 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. And the only day that changes is oh. Sunday when we close at nine instead of 10. Um, so we kind of have okay. a little bit of traffic coming in before work guys that just want to get some swings in almost as a substitute to go into the gym a couple days a week. And then obviously we're open right. for the after work crowd to come in and have a couple beers and either just get swings by themselves and work on some stuff after work or have a little social environment, play a match against their buddies, whatever the case is. Right. Um, now, you also, because um, I've obviously, we've talked before this uh, the show tonight, and then obviously I've had the opportunity to, to visit your website several times, so I've got a little bit of background. I, I know that in addition to uh, the golf simulation that you also offer lessons. Tell us a little bit about that. That's correct. So that's actually how I got into this business in the first place. I was selling custom suits full-time, and had in mind that that was going to be a career at least for the foreseeable future but couldn't get the uh, itch that golf created out of my head and couldn't figure out a way to scratch it and realize that kind of teaching was the part of selling suits that I liked teaching guys why their clothes should look the way they should and and what what makes them look good in a suit and why and how fabrics work and that just bled into my interest and desire to teach golf lessons because I was, uh, at the time, about a six handicap, and I'm down closer to four now, so we're, we're getting closer and closer to scratch as we go. But I wanted to teach lessons, right. so I found this place online, came in for a visit, 
ended up having some kind of built built up the conversations with the previous owner to the point where he kind of let me know where the business was, what the opportunity was. He, the fact that he was looking for an exit strategy and everything worked out timing wise, but uh, to make a, a short answer long, I wanted to teach golf lessons, which is what got me here. So I started teaching lessons immediately. And now I've hired my assistant manager, who's also an aspiring pro. So he's now giving lessons as well. Right. And right. then we bring in a freelance, more of an independent contractor guy who uh, is John Manning and teaches up at a range in Westchester, which is north of the city. Okay. Uh, quote unquote full time. But then he comes down for anywhere from three to 12 or 15 lessons a week, depending on the week. So we do have three different options for you to get lessons. And I won't say it's the biggest part of the business, but it's a, a huge service to be able to offer for the, the people who want to get better. Yeah, and 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 that's you know again obviously you, you're going to get um, players uh, or, or folks out there that want to uh, you know sort of maintain what they've already got, but then you've also got some some folks that you know they've been itching to get back out. They know they need a little bit of tune up and a little bit of help to get their the spark going for the new season out there. And as I said earlier, it's not uh, quite ready to. To, to get out there and play yet. You still got a few winter storms, I think, left brewing up there. So uh, this is a great opportunity to sure uh, work, work with some, <laughs> yeah, work with some professionals and take some lessons. Um, but, but in addition to the practicing and, and, and taking lessons, uh, there's also a social aspect to it. Um, so again, talk a little bit about that. You're trying to create uh, a social thing. You mentioned it a little earlier. It's kind of like going to a, a gym in a sense that you're getting a chance to work on something that that's important to you, but you're also getting a chance to, to connect with others. Yeah, it's a, an interesting dichotomy in, in the way the business is set up from a, a clientele perspective because of that. So you, the first half of the day is basically people treating it like a gym, which is awesome to be able to provide that private room setup come in, change clothes. Like I have this one guy who's been in probably half a dozen times in the last two weeks, and it legitimately is his substitute for the gym. So he brings his gym bag, changes into a T-shirt and shorts, sweats for an hour, taking 150 swings, and then changes back into his work clothes and goes yep. back to work. So it's, it's his, his respite, his <laughs> exercise, his kind of getaway from the office. But then at about – anywhere around four o'clock during the week, it kind of switches over and that's when the crowd starts ordering beer. So it's the guys who are now leaving work. And like I said, it's right. anywhere from a threesome playing a, a social match against each other up to, um, I have an individual in one of the other simulators right now who specifically requested the cameras because this is his after work training time. So he's working on the stuff that he's, uh, taking lessons to improve and wanted the cameras to give himself some feedback. And then on the weekends, especially, so that weeknight crowd then transitions to the weekends where it's threesomes, foursomes, and more booking out the private room to have for three or four hours. So it's almost like the, the, what I've compared it to Ted is a, the best bowling alley you could ever imagine because it's golf instead of bowling. Right. But it has that sort of, you get the space. Not everybody's going to be good at the game necessarily. It's fun to just be around it. And even the people who don't want to play can still sit and have a couple of drinks and be a part of the social atmosphere. And then all of that kind of comes together in our private event business as well. So the other big 
not only from a business perspective revenue driver, but also a big um, way to include more people in the game via this uh, vehicle, for lack of a better word, is our right. social events from uh, corporate from the corporate side. So, you know, a classic corporate happy hour where you run up a $2,000 bar tab and get everybody drunk in an hour and a half and then you see them the next day at work. We try and we try and build some of that into this business where we can we can offer you that same thing, but then you also get three different golf courses to play in our simulators or a long drive contest in one room, a closest to the pin contest in the next room and the three guys who care more than anybody else about golf can go play a match in the other room. So it's a, a really cool way to, to have a little 20, 25 person event as well. Um, and all of those right. things certainly work in conjunction to build a pretty, pretty well-rounded client. Well, and, and what makes it kind of unique, uh, Jeremy as well is obviously you've, you've got uh, some of your more hardcore golfers that, that want to take advantage uh, maybe early in the morning or even right after work uh, that want to get out there and, and work on the game. Um, but then you've also got, uh, as you said, your, your corporate uh, approach to it where maybe they just want to go out and have fun. They don't want to just you know hit the normal bar scene. They want to do something different. Um, but maybe some of the participants aren't necessarily any great golfer, um, but they can still have some fun doing it. And maybe maybe get a little bit of bitten by the bug, if you will, uh, that so many of us do over time, you know, you hit a few shots and, and, uh, you know, it, it uh, gets some good results and you think, Hey, maybe I can give this a try in, in real sense. And, uh, so it might roll into some lessons, but, um, it, it sounds like a great opportunity for a, a lot of, um, really a broad spectrum. As you said, it's sort of a modern day bowling alley, if you will, uh, except for you're, you're using golf and, you know, I remember growing up, uh, I was sort of in the area when, when bowling alleys were, were extremely popular. And not saying they're not a little bit now, but, um, and that was something that we enjoyed doing. And sometimes we did well, and other times we didn't, it was, but it was a social thing. Um, now, that's, that's you're exactly doing some right, very Dad. interesting thing. Right. You're doing some interesting things with Golf Manhattan to really, uh, obviously, it's new in your hands, but to, to grow the business um, online uh, with its content and so forth. So tell us some other things that you try to do. How do you try to get the word out there? Obviously, you know, because you're up in an office building, uh, we, you and I have talked about this before, and, in, and anybody that is familiar with um, Manhattan um, knows that sometimes uh, signage, uh, there's restrictions and things like that. How do you get the word out there to let the folks know uh, First off, that you're there and, and where you're located and, and how they can get uh, involved. How do you how do you aggressively sort of market without uh, uh, you know having to spend a lot? It's a it's a really good question and obviously the biggest challenge we face, like you said, because uh, unfortunately the landlord is pretty strict about what I can and can't put on the front of our building, and it's it's True. basically zero. Right. So we're um, we're battling the awareness game, which is the whole part once once people know about it the so my first my first challenge yep. to tackle I'll go I'll go back to answer the question but my first challenge to tackle was giving a better level of service so the big weakness with previous ownership and why the business kind of dipped and ducked and made its way to where it was when when I got to come in and buy it is that the customer service had suffered and had suffered for a long time because I think the focus was just not there on 
people having the best time they could in here for the two hours that they're here. Because at the end right. of the day, as much awareness as I get, if I can get the people in here to tell their three friends that it was fun, then that's a bigger win than however much money I'm going to spend sure. on online advertising. So now the, the flip side and the, the second piece of that is combining that with driving awareness other ways. So since I can't put signs out front, I'm sort of driven either to the street corner to be the, the guy with the sandwich board handing out coupons and menus, which we've all seen in right. New York if you've been right. around a little bit. And yep. my assistant manager mm-hmm. and I spent a, an afternoon last week in Bryant Park with our matching branded T-shirts on, handing out freebie cards to try and get some some walk-in sort of traffic. And it was super productive. We got to hand out quite a bit, generated a little buzz, took a couple photos while we were outside. It all worked out. Um, so it's things like that where if I can build three hours into a day where I go hand out cards, I'm perfectly willing and not above that in any way. Now, the online piece, which you briefly mentioned, is the bigger component, right. but without a huge marketing budget, um, there has to be some level of creativity there. And the biggest thing that I can say we're trying to implement, and even within the last couple of weeks trying to implement, is just turning a camera on to record things that we're doing. And that's anywhere from unboxing office supplies, which is part of the business, to stocking a beer fridge, which is part of the business, to meeting and greeting yep. clients, to cleaning up afterward, to taking business phone calls, to negotiating contracts, to, you know, the showing that behind the scenes to some degree is a useful tool and I think will drive some of the engagement and attachment to us as a brand. So if, you know, if they get to see the the crap that we're doing to, to get this business yeah. <laughs> moving in the right direction, they're more attached to the results a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, when it's grown and we have m- multiple locations. And, man, we, we watched the videos back when Jeremy was taking out the trash himself and that sort of idea. So even, even that simple right. stuff of just showing some behind the scenes is, is a way that we're going to try and drive some engagement at least. But then we're also going to put – plenty of golf content out as well. So that's going to be myself and Kyle, who's my assistant manager guy, um, us recording as many golf centric things. So that's not just tips, although that's going to be a big part of it. Right. A grip tip here, a swing thought here. uh, This, this week we finally implemented and started tip Tuesdays. So we're going to have swing tip Tuesdays where we just put out a video a week with some sort of thought and, if all goes well, we'll turn Tip Tuesdays into Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays also if we can get enough videos recorded and uh, chopped up. So basically we're just trying sort of any means necessary at this point. We're at the stage where throwing as much stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and pivoting as quickly as possible when something doesn't work to just get eyeballs right on our brand, meaning the, the biggest, biggest review we have when people come in here is, oh, this place is awesome. I didn't even know it was here. So it's just getting those people to have seen a video online to know that we're here, if that makes sense. No, that's, that's perfect. You know, what's interesting, Jeremy, is this. <clears throat> you know, again, I've been on your, your website a number of times, and, you know, one of the things I like about it is you've kept it very simple, 
Um, you know, you, you give the, the, the key information that's obviously critical of, you know, when you're open, what, what services you offer. Um, but there's, you know, one of the things that unfortunately with, with today's market is, and, and you know this, especially being, you're obviously a little bit younger than I am. In today's market, people are very time restrained. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of time for things and they don't want to be on a site where they've got to navigate around uh, and and there's a lot of you know clutter and and things like that. You've kept it very streamlined. You get right to the point, what the service is, you know what what uh, what's available, uh, you know at your location, and uh, and it's very engaging that way. And that's what people want. They just know what is it, you know what's Golf Manhattan, what what do you got to offer, and you know where are you located, that sort of thing. And then obviously I know you're going to throw a few other things up as you go along, but. The other thing that, that you pointed out just a moment ago, and, and which I think is good to lead into next, is you obviously have to wear many hats as an owner of a business, and uh, you've got quite a few different hats. Talk a little bit about that. You mentioned some of it, but talk a little bit about you know, why that's important to you. What, what's the message that you want to send out to, to the people that are um, you know, going to come to Golf Manhattan? Um, that's uh, another, another good point and a good question. It's it's a really awesome challenge. So I've, I've worked for someone else for all of my life. Like you said, I'm, um, younger than some and, um, not as young as some of the other people just starting out, but I've, I've always tried to find a job where someone would pay me for things that I thought I was good at. And this is a brand new opportunity where I get to steer the ship. And that means, steer the ship in all the ways that the ship needs to be steered. So that certainly um, requires me to wear many hats, but so far I'm really enjoying the challenge of it because it's learning things. I didn't even know were a part of the business. Um, it's, right. It, it's <laughs> doing super quick homework to have the answers the next day when I have to jump on a call with someone that I didn't know I was going to have to jump on a call with. And it's, doing the, the marketing side of things and figuring out an approach to get more eyeballs. And um, it's really neat. So th the hats I wear break down to, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to put a finite list on it, but especially with me teaching, that's just an added, added bit in there that's in addition to all the things I need to do to run the business. So I'm, I'm the general manager of our space. So that means I'm in charge right. of, hiring and firing and training and staffing and procedures and leadership within the space. So how we clean and where the trash goes and how much beer we have in the fridge and how we kick people out of their rooms when it's right. time to leave all the, all the way uh, up to and including <laughs> higher level meetings to make sure that my assistant manager is communicating the right way with our staff members so that we're delivering the same message. Um, so that general manager ship kind of covers covers day-to-day -day operations, but then obviously the growing the business part is another big one. So my biggest recent development on that front is making a deal with Marriott hotels. So if you stay at one oh, wow. of the two Marriott hotels that are on our block, there's a residence in next door and a courtyard across the street. Within the next couple months, you'll mm -hmm. be able to pick your perks which is a card they hand out to customers where you get to select a couple options from this list. We're going to be one of those options. So 
Marriott customers will get a little discount for staying at the hotel to then come and use with us. So it's strategic partnerships like that, that while I'm figuring out the hiring, firing and training of our staff, I also have to make those kind of um, higher level marketing strategic partnership decisions along the way. Um, And then it's, Mm -hmm. it's the, the business ownership administrative part that is probably the biggest challenge for me just because i I wasn't aware necessarily of all of the pieces that go into it. Not that I didn't have a general idea, but just on a, you know, on a day to day, I couldn't have told you how much my liability insurance was going to be for a space like this based on the activity that we're offering, based on the wording that we put in confirmation emails to customers based so that it's the, the running a business from the legal administrative side. That's also been quite a big challenge. And then, Um, all of that sort of comes under the umbrella of branding and identity and putting a face on a thing that we can grow. Right. So I'm, I'm with, with the videos starting this week, especially I'm basically just going to attach my face to the brand as much as possible and see how that goes for the time being and kind of be the (laughs) voice and, and the, the driving factor publicly. And if, if we get some pushback and that doesn't work or I don't have time and we have to pivot and change that approach, we will, but it's, it's been really cool having to wear all those different hats and figure out how to do things and when to do them and how hard to push people and what I can negotiate and what I can't. And, um, had a really, I'll tell a really quick story from a staffing perspective. I had to, had to let an individual go a couple of weeks ago just because it wasn't a good fit. And there were some, some work performance right. issues, just it's a, a staff member that wasn't a good fit, didn't work. So I let her go. Right. And it turned right. into an online fiasco based on starting to post reviews in public places, starting to talk some trash in many different ways publicly. And so for a day and a half, I right. had to worry about what's the quickest way to get Yelp reviews taken down and how to get Facebook posts deleted and YouTube comments <laughs> removed because they're just personal and hurt. So it's, it's cool, you know, getting to solve those challenges when you can look back and have done it. But obviously during the, the challenge, it's not always the most fun thing, except it, you learn and grow and you have that hat to wear now, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's part of the learning. Uh, you know, when you're in, when you're uh, a business owner like that, uh, those are what we classify as the the nuisance uh, nuisance tasks um, that you know all uh, <laughs> exactly employers right. have to go through, and that's essentially what it is. You know, I just want to go back just real quickly, just to to make a comment about uh, what you said about yeah. your your uh, new relationship with the Marriott. You know, there are so many great. I mean, I think that's fantastic, and, and this is really what it takes to become successful with any business is to reach out, especially to uh, a brand you know, as successful as the Marriott to be able to partner with them and say, you know, we've got something here to offer your guests. And, you know, obviously they get in addition to, uh, you know, your regular tourist uh, and, and vacationers coming to New York. Um, I'm sure get a lot of business people that come in throughout the season. Uh, and knowing that you're on the list, I, I guarantee there's going to be a lot of golfers that may come into the area that want to play and will bring their clubs and whatnot, um, you know, to play reg- uh, regularly uh, out in some of the courses in in, in New York, but um, it's nice to be able to know that your facility is close by 
and that they get some some perks there as well. So I think it's a great a great pairing, and and I can see lots of um, you know beneficial things coming out of that. Um, exactly. And and, and, and on two, that, I think, on, yeah. On that on that note, real quick, the um, the biggest thing is when when I've been trying to drive those partnerships in any way, it's just thinking about mm-hmm. if I have something to offer, what value can I provide to you? to maybe get something back. But the, the key is for me not to expect much. And I've realized um, mostly through the, right. the business mentors I've had through, through the books and videos and people I've watched and learned from and that sort of thing. But it's, it's being able to just provide value to someone else. And if you can do that as many times as possible, the, the rewards will come back around even if you don't necessarily ask for them. And then if you have enough of those leverage relationships, when you do need to ask for something, people are willing to help. So that's the that's the tact I'm taking. Well, yeah, and that's a, an excellent point that you raise. And and just to add a little bit to that, you know, one of the things that uh, I think Jeremy, you know, again, I know this is is fairly new for you, and it's it's a, a learning curve, and 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 there's a lot of exciting times ahead. I think the one thing that you you touched on that's extremely important is earlier on is is about the customer service and providing value for for the service that you're you're offering and the product mm. that you're offering and i think that when people see that that's an important and integral part of your business i mean anybody can open up a shop and open up a store and say here i am um but then not have very good support system put in place and you know even if you partner whether it be with the marriott or some other you know uh, business in in manhattan once their customers see that they're not only getting value, but they're getting treated with, with dignity and respect, just the word of mouth alone um, to your business is, is going to be more than anything likely that that other business could have offered you anyway. So just the fact that they're opening you up to their potential customers uh, or existing customers is, is going to be a great um, opportunity for you down the road. And the fact that you recognize that I want to make sure that my customers that are coming in wherever I get them from are not only going to have an enjoyable experience, but are going to feel value when they come here uh, and are going to be treated, as I said, with dignity and respect that, that any amount of marketing dollars you could put out there because anybody can throw a sign up or, or uh, you know, what have you. uh, But if they can't back it up, um, it, it, that circulates just as quickly and, and uh, you end up, you know, dealing with those other issues that I mentioned earlier. Um, so, you got it. That's exactly right. You know, Jeremy, one of the questions I guess that, yeah, yeah, one of the questions that I think a lot of people ask in the golf industry, I mean, I've been in the golf industry for a long time, uh, is, you know, what's the future of the game? What do you see, uh, what role do you see a facility like yours is going to play in helping the future of the game? So the biggest, biggest way to answer that question is sort of to throw back to the point we were making earlier about comparing it to a bowling alley and that sort of thing. It's, um, I, I can't remember what phrase you said uh, a few minutes ago, but basically just getting, getting that itch started with somebody new. So take yep. a, enough swings and hit a couple balls and you realize that it's really rewarding when they go the direction you want them to and it, you make solid contact and understand why that feels the way it does and come back for more sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think the way a facility like this can grow the game is through getting those people who would have never approached it in a 
again, quote-unquote, traditional manner to, to see the game as something that they can wrap their head around. Because golf in general, and this is the, the sad part of golf, is that it's super unapproachable for a variety of reasons. Space, right. sure. time, equipment needed, not to mention the general air and pushback of country club culture and why and how people don't want to be a part of that or feel like they can't. And it becomes it. So it's, there's a lot of reasons that golf is unapproachable. And so how do we get people to see it as something that they can get their hands on, participate in, be a part of, I think it's through a kind of toned down less normal golf experience, if you will, make it more fun, make it entertainment based. It's really what Top Golf is doing, but in even right. higher level way. I want to sort of uh, drive the same sort of thing, but with an even better golf experience. So you can actually play a real simulated course. What what does it look like when I have to fly a ball over water? Sure, it's not a real lake in front of you, right. but just to have the mental exercise right. of can I can I hit this out of this sand trap? high enough so that it gets over the lip and lands on the green and that sort of thing where people get the reward of hitting those good shots that for those of us who have played golf for any amount of time, you know, that feeling of that shot you can remember from three years ago in that one round, when you shot the round of your life, you remember the shots that got you there because of the reward of hitting a good shot and having it land where you wanted to and roll out the way you thought it would or miss the tree because you had to hug the side of the foot, et cetera, et cetera. So if we can give that to people in a way that they can more easily approach, then I think everybody wins Mm -hmm. and it will then get them outside on a golf course at some point in the future, right? If they can participate in here, realize it's a thing they, that they can, can do and they don't have to be the best at, but it's still fun and it can still be social and it can still, and another big part is it can still benefit a career because that's still a big part that golf plays in taking clients to a golf course to and from and, and having events like that, that are benefiting people professionally, right. Deals, deals are made on golf courses. Right. And, and that's a, right. Exactly. Uh, I actually, so I, I think that's, that's the role that it plays not to mention the benefit of having it be year round wrapped into all of that. So not yeah. only can we, can we hopefully make it more approachable, but also it's just more accessible in a city where golf is super inconvenient and in a city that has a really limited golf season. So all, all of those yeah. things lead to us hopefully, hopefully being able to get some new people in the door, grow the game a little bit. And so the craziest part, and we'll go, uh, I won't have to, we won't stay on this for very long, but I also truly believe that within my lifetime, most likely I think this sort of simulated electronic based, if not all the way to a VR based experience will be a pretty popular version of golf for people to watch. So I I think there will be some competition based around this sort of electronic based game. I think that because the biggest complaint golf has now is should we make courses longer and longer and longer, or should we make the golf ball go shorter? We're running out of space. We can't build tee boxes etc. Not to mention the pushback on do we need all that space for golf courses when those could be public parks for people to enjoy. All of that solved by moving yeah. the game inside, building a little stadium around a simulated golf experience and 
but that's that's way down the road. I don't know how far, but those are my thoughts. No, I I I think you're right um, in a lot of respects. I I think the the traditions of the game will always be there. You know, it's interesting some of the things that you mentioned. Um, I recently was watching on the Golf Channel um, an interview with uh, that David Faraday had done with um, uh, one of the participants was. Um, Oh, I can't think of it now. The, one the main Ricky? one I'm thinking of is Jack Nicholas. Yes. Yeah, it was with and, Ricky and Jack you know, Nicholas, and then they had the tennis guy on there as well. Yeah. Right, right. And the the point I was getting at was, you know, Nicholas made the point uh, about the game that there were some things that, that he felt, and it wasn't just about scaling uh, the ball back, but it was about making it accessible to more people. That I mean, you know, here's somebody that's played – some of the best golf courses around the world. Certainly money is not an issue for him, but he recognizes the fact that the sport is still very expensive and it's not accessible to everybody. And, you know, he did also say too, that, uh, you know, golf courses have gotten longer and longer because the technology in in golf balls and and equipment has made it uh, not that they're obsolete, the regular courses that are, that have been out there for years, uh, but it's, it's made it easier and easier um, but, you know, I think you're right in, in what you're saying about the um, indoor facilities. I think as new, um, you know, newer people get drawn to golf, wh- one of the, let me back up real quick here. One of the criticisms that I have with golf is the impression through very aggressive marketing that we see, um, and I'm not trying to criticize the Golf Channel but or the PGA Tour or LPGA or anything like that, but is – the image that most people see is a professional level. Um, you know, we don't see a lot of promoting of um, certainly within the golf industry, but outside to the general public, uh, you know, a lot of amateur golf for everyday golfers. We see, you know, the, the Ricky Fowler's and the Rory McIlroy's and the Michelle Wee's and so on and so forth. And the Nicholas's that have played. And that's most people's perception um, that don't know anything about golf that's what they see is they see these professionals. So they think that's what golf is. Well, I'm never going to be a professional. And I think as the younger generations come up like yourself and offer alternative solutions, and that doesn't mean that they may not get out in the golf course someday, but offer things like what you're offering with golf Manhattan, uh, that's bringing a whole new generation of people to the game that maybe didn't realize that, Hey, this is something for me. And I, I, I think what you were talking about a few moments ago I can see that happening, and it's certainly it's definitely not going to happen probably in my lifetime. It may happen in yours, um, <laughs> but if not, certainly the next generation. But but you are right. I think you you know people are uh, are changing. I think environmentally, as we look at some of the challenges that that we face on this planet, um, you know I certainly love. I, I think there's plenty of golf courses now, and I'm not trying to criticize people that are out there, uh, you know, developing new uh, opportunities. But I think there's going to be a challenge for space. And I think that the industry has to look at other options. And I think what you're offering here in golf Manhattan uh, is, is something uh, that needs to give serious consideration to. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I, I appreciate that just as a plug. Cause I, I certainly agree. People should, should give it a shot in this setting or any other setting. Cause I love the game, but um, I agree with a lot of that. And especially with the, the points that um, Jack Nicholas was making on that, that interview along those same lines, it's, it really boils down to approachability. And even 
even in the, I was just thinking while you were talking about that, in terms of approachability, it's not just the space and the time and the, now they're hitting the ball too far. It's what you said where people view because of the way it's presented golf as a professional level game. And there's not a lot of in between them being people who don't play at all. And this level that we see on TV of, Oh, you have to be that to play golf. Not to mention the part of right. you have to you have to know what to wear to play golf. You have to have the right stuff to play. Like all of that leads to that same idea of I don't have the right pants. I don't have the right shirt. I certainly don't hit the ball like Rory McIlroy, so I'm just not going to do it. Which is the unfortunate yeah. part of and, not getting people in the door, right? Yeah, and and let me just add something real quick here, Jeremy, and and then we'll move on is, you know, if you take tennis as an example, um, you know, uh, I grew up in golf, you know, my father taught me when I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. So I'm familiar with what uh, there is to do and and out there in golf from from a playing standpoint to a teaching standpoint and so on and so forth. Um, Mm -hmm. But tennis as an example, you know, I can go out and I can buy a $15 tennis racket and a, you know, a sleeve of, of tennis balls. I don't even have to go out on a tennis court. I can just hit the ball against a wall and it's cost me maybe $20. That's not as easily available in the golfing industry because uh, I can certainly go to a driving range and I can borrow a golf club uh, and I can certainly hit some golf balls, but I can't really get an appreciation for the game uh, as such. Um, Whereas tennis and some of these other sports, uh, it's much more accessible. And I think that was the point that, that Nicholas was trying to get across is that um, golf needs to be more accessible to the masses. We need to quit going after, uh, you know, all of the elite players and, and, and that sort of thing and start going after the people that normally wouldn't have access because that's what's truly right. going to grow the game. So I think what you're offering with Golf Manhattan gives that because it's it's something that's affordable it's something that uh they don't have to drive too far they can hop on uh you know uh, their local transit if they want or walk depending on how close they are um or if you know or if they're traveling and staying at uh, at one of the marriotts and and perhaps maybe others uh, that you partner with uh, in the road um you know they can just come in and, and use that as a, as a perk or as a you know an option so uh, I like what you're doing there, uh, Jeremy. It sounds like you've got a, a great uh, a great plan, and I, I see some great things happening uh, with with the business uh, as it continues to grow. Um, any final thoughts? As we, I, I can't believe this hour is already just about blown away. So um, it's been very interesting to learn more about your business, and uh, I, I really like what you're doing there. Any final thoughts that you want to make, and then just again very quickly let the folks know how they can reach out uh, and learn more about Golf Manhattan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Final thoughts, I'll keep kind of brief because I feel like we have covered a lot and that certainly went by faster than I thought it was going to. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. That's that's what I get for coming to the call late though, Ted. So it makes it seem faster when you show up late. Um, I I just am really excited for the future of not only the business, but just golf as a whole, golf as an entertainment vehicle. I'm excited about where we're headed. I'm excited about being able to, to lead us as a brand and change even some of the stuff in terms of what people wear to play the game and how they look to play the game and how they think about the game and, and not to mention the approachability like we talked about and getting people into it and learning and, and that sort of thing. So um, I won't 
I won't stay on my soapbox about the future of technology and virtual reality golf and all of that stuff. But what I will say is your idea of, of where to get in touch with us. So like I said, Golf Manhattan is on 39th Street in between 6th Avenue and Broadway. And the closest trains to us, for those of you that are actually in the city coming, are the BD to Bryant Park or the NQRW to Times Square. So those are your, your public transportation options, but then all of the commuters outside the city can get to us pretty quickly via Port Authority Bus Terminal, Grand Central Train Station, or Penn Station. Uh, we're pretty centrally located within all of those. Uh, and then electronically, where to find us? Everything is basically Golf Manhattan. So on Instagram, which is where we're pushing the most content, I will say, is going to be Golf Manhattan. No, no um, symbols or anything, just at Golf Manhattan. Same on Twitter. And then you can find us on Facebook. Again, just search Golf Manhattan. And as Ted, Ted said earlier, uh, the information is pretty sleek and simple, but the website is golfmanhattan.com. Again, keeping, keeping it simple. Yeah, I think um, sometimes that's the, the best way. Go ahead. Yep. Yep, and then the only thing I was going to add is we do offer booking online, so you can go straight from that website to our booking page and make a, a tea time that way, or you can call us and we'll make you a tea time over the phone. Perfect, and I know all your contact information is, is very readily available on the uh, the website, and I know you've got some other things coming out uh, in the future, so definitely keep me posted and, mm -hmm. and I'll uh, uh, make the, the listeners aware of that. Well, Jeremy, I want to thank you for coming on Golf Talk Live. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I enjoyed uh, learning more about your business and uh, exposing it to my audience. And I know a lot of them that uh, travel, uh, and many of them, I'm sure, travel to New York. They've got a place that they can go and, and uh, check out and not just practice their golf game, but uh, maybe get involved in little social uh, activities as well. But uh, I, I see some great things with, uh, with Golf Manhattan, and I want to wish you much continued success. And and uh, please uh, stay in touch, and uh, I look forward to having you come back on as, as things continue to grow and build and come back on the show again. That I definitely will, and thank you for your time and having me on, and thanks to all your listeners for, uh, for letting me show up five minutes late and still be a part of this and, and share some of the behind-the-scenes <laughs> as well as, as where we're headed. I, I really appreciate uh, the invite, and I will certainly keep you posted on where things go and what we're offering in the future. Sounds good. Well, Jeremy, thank you again for, for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight. I know my uh, audience uh, will enjoy uh, and has enjoyed listening to, uh, to the show. And uh, keep up the great work. And uh, I look forward to having you come back and join me again in the future. That sounds great, Ted. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, um, Jeremy Hutchins, the CEO and owner of Golf Manhattan, and uh, it's located on the west side of Manhattan between Penn Station and Times Square, and as he uh, pointed out several times, it's an indoor golf facility and bar that offers uh, hourly rentals, private events, and lessons, and it's uh, really perfect for year-round training and, and as well entertaining, so um, he's making it fun there. It's not just about uh, getting down to hardcore golf, but it's there to have some fun as well, so uh, definitely go to their website, Golf Manhattan. Uh, dot com and you can get all the information there and, and certainly check out uh, through the other social media platforms as well. I want to take this opportunity uh, again to just uh, thank the um, 
guys uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, John Hughes and Peter Egazarian, uh, earlier on for uh, doing a fantastic job as always, guys. Uh, I, I appreciate all your uh, efforts and hard work, and I uh, thank you for joining me again on the panel uh, discussions again this year for the season. I know they're going to be back many, many more times throughout the year, so uh, you definitely want to tune in uh, for those guys. Um, I want to take this opportunity as well to thank all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live uh, each and every week. And uh, as I say uh, all the time, and I mean this sincerely, that I do have a, a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having uh, a number of highly talented coaches, uh, teaching pros, authors, and entrepreneurs like Jeremy, uh, my guest tonight, uh, stop by the show. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. So on that note, uh, I'm going to close things off. Thanks again to my guests. I will be back on Tuesday uh, with my co-host, LPGA professional Cindy Miller, on the Women of Golf show here on the blogtalkradio.com network. So make sure you join us uh, this Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on this network. Uh, and then again next Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, Central on blogtalkradio.com uh, as well, uh, where I will have another Coach's Corner panel and another uh, interesting guest uh, joining me next week. So on that note, thanks, everybody. Keep tuning in and keep spreading the word. Uh, I'm here to stay, so uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy you guys uh, faithfully tuning in each and every week. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.